0: So my dear faithful, we are trying to penetrate the wisdom of God, the providence of God, the mind of God himself, in order that we might find the most perfect path for reaching him, reaching union with him, so that we can gain heaven. We saw yesterday how it was the will of God from all eternity to need, to rely upon Our Lady to accomplish his work, such that. He could not accomplish His work without her necessary cooperation. So God the Father needed her permission. And once He had her permission, He endowed her with many gifts in order to enable her to fulfill the sublime role to be the Mother of God. And then it was His will for God the Son to become a microscopic fetus within the womb of Our Lady, which He had created as His earthly paradise, And to be completely subject to her for 30 years. However, we may say at this point, did Our Lady just play a material role in bringing the Redeemer to this earth? And that was it. She was just sort of a physical transport vehicle to bring Our Lord down upon this earth. So Our Lord comes out of the womb of Our Lady and He's safely here on earth. He grows to maturity. And then he waves goodbye to his mother. And he goes off to do the work for which he came upon this earth. Which is the work of redemption. You know, this is the concept that the Protestants have of Our Lady. The Protestants see Our Lady as just simply a material means. Simply a person whom God chose to carry our Lord. And she did that work, and once she did that work, her work was done. That was it. She brought him into this world, they waved goodbye, and our Lord went to walk on His own, on His path, all the way to Calvary, to die for our sins, to accomplish the work of our redemption. So the question, the the first question we have to ask tonight is, does Our Lady just bring him into this world, or does she also have a necessary part to play in the work of redemption, in the work, the the whole reason for which her son came down on this earth. And of course, we're going to say yes, yes. Not only was Our Lady necessary in that her permission was needed for Our Lord to come to this earth, but she was necessary also for the accomplishment of the redemption of the cross, by the will of God. This is the first thing that I have to prove to you. To understand this, for me to be able to prove this to you, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden, to the fall, as we did yesterday, but from a different perspective now. You know that what there were three things involved in the fall, or perhaps four things involved in the fall. You have a man, Adam, you have a woman, Eve, you have a tree, and you have a bad angel. These things were involved in the, the original sin. Now, this man and this woman, Adam and Eve, they did, ha- they did not have parents, and yet they were the parents of the whole human race. We all come from Adam and Eve. You have to believe that as a Catholic, that every single person... In the world descends from Adam and Eve. They, these great, they were the greatest of all human beings. They were the most endowed of all human beings. Before the coming of our Lord and our Lady. They were the greatest. God gave many great gifts to them. They were created, for instance, in the state of grace. They too had an immaculate conception. If we can speak that way because they were not even conceived. They were created directly by God. And what do you have? You have the devil penetrating into the garden and gaining a great victory over Adam, but not directly. He doesn't go directly to Adam. He uses two means. He uses a woman and he uses a tree. And this is how he gets to Adam and basically brings him down So the devil deceives the woman, and the woman causes the man to sin out of human respect. Eve sinned because she believed the devil. Adam sinned because he wanted to please his wife. And so the devil brought Adam down by means of a woman. And as a result, these first parents, who were to be the source of life for all, became the source of death for all immediately upon the commission of the sin, they had spiritual death strike their souls, such that the state of grace was gone from their souls. They had laid upon them the sentence of mortality, such that they would have to die a physical death. And this sentence, this double sentence of death, spiritual death and physical death, also applied to all their descendants to this very day. Every single person born into this world is born in a state of spiritual death and has the edict of physical death hanging over his head. We're all going to die one day because of the sin of Adam. Now, from this first sin of Adam and Eve, you have coming all the succeeding sins of mankind we may say that original sin was the origin of what we today call the culture of death. The culture of death. Because the fact is that spiritual death leads to physical death. Satanism and the occult is always associated, in one way or another, with human sacrifice. And the very next story in Scripture, after the story of the fall is the story of the murder of Abel by Cain. And all the murders and the crimes and the sins that have happened since then, in a sense, are children of this first sin of Adam and Eve, including the many slaughters of the millions of innocents today through the crime of abortion. So my point is that... Spiritual death, which is sin, is not just a standalone unit, such that you can say sin causes spiritual harm, but it doesn't cause physical harm. It causes physical harm as well, great physical harm. It's caused the death of, of many millions. Sin causes death. And so God deci- decides from all eternity that He's going to fix this original sin. And because He stands outside of time, His providence is able to see everything at once. He sees you not just as you are here in this church right now, but He sees you as you were when you were born. He sees you as you will be in eternity. All from one moment. It's not like God gets information from one day to the next, and He learns things. He knows everything about you, even the things that you will do in the future. And so God decided that He was going to fix sin in the most fitting way possible by something that we could call the divine revenge. Sometimes it's called the divine revenge because of the fact that the act of redemption, the work of redemption was going to be a complete reversal, a complete overturning of what happened in the garden. So, at the very moment of the fall, God issued a decree for its remedy. And for this remedy to be applied, he needs these three things. He needs a man, he needs a woman, and he needs a tree to fix what happened with those three things in the Garden of Eden. So, let's look at what happens with the second Avenue which is our Lord and our Lady. Just as he intervened in the creation of the first Adam and Eve, so he intervenes directly in the creation of the second Adam and Eve. The second Adam and Eve were a man and woman without spiritual parents, we could say. Somehow, by a miracle of God, when Anna and Joachim, the parents of Our Lady, when they conceived Our Lady, Somehow that normal process of the transmission of original sin was blocked by God. It was prevented. And so it was as if Our Lady did not have her spiritual parents in her physical parents. It's like her spiritual parents were different from her physical parents, such that she did not have sin. And so she was created in grace, in the state of grace, just as Adam and Eve were. But our Lord as well certainly had an immaculate conception. Our, our Lord was certainly born in the state of grace in, from, his, from the side of His human nature. It was absolutely impossible that sin touched our Lord in any way. And these two, our Lord and our Lady, the new Adam and the, and the new Eve, are the only ones in the whole history of mankind, besides the first Adam and Eve, who were born in the state of grace, who were conceived in the state of grace, the only ones. Adam came into the world without a father. Our Lord came into the world without a father. Original sin, as I mentioned, you have a a tree and a woman. The woman was deceived by the devil, and the tree brought forth death. So too, original sin is defeated by the means of a tree and a woman. Our Lady brings our Lord into this world, and she leads Him to the tree of the cross. And He's crucified on that tree. And by this act of giving his life for our sins, he wipes away original sin. He defeats both sin and death. So the first tree brings forth spiritual death and physical death, as I mentioned. But this new tree, the cross, brings forth physical death for our Lord. But for us, it brings forth spiritual life and, in fact, eternal life. Eternal life for all those who are incorporated in our Lord. And to this day, to this very day, you cannot be saved without two things. Besides our Lord, there are two things that you need to be saved. You can't do without a woman and a tree. You have to have the cross. If you don't have the cross in your life, you're not going to be saved. You've got to pick up your cross and follow our Lord. If you don't do that, you're not going to make it. And you have to have Our Lady. You have to have the intercession of Our Lady. Now Eve, as the mother of all the living, she was the source of physical life for all. And spiritual and physical death. It's as if, well certainly, original sin, theologians say, is transmitted by Adam. It's transmitted by the male, original sin. So original sin comes from Adam. It doesn't come from Eve. But it passes through the womb of Eve. So Adam is the primary agent in the transmission of original sin. And Eve is a necessary instrument for that transmission. So too, Our Lady, who is the physical mother of our Lord, she's the spiritual mother of all who are born again in the life of grace. So, it's as if we must pass somehow through the womb of Our Lady in order to be formed into other Christ. This is the language of St. Louis. Uh, Because Our Lady is the new Eve. Because She is the second Eve. Because we were begotten by the first Eve into a state of sin. In order to be begotten into a state of grace, and to be begotten into other Christ, to be formed into other Christ, not into, into those who are like the second Adam, we have to pass through the womb of Our Lady. And St. Louis says to us that we have to ask for entrance into this second earthly paradise, which is the womb of Our Lady. He says, she admits into it whom she wills to admit into it. And so you have to ask. You have to ask entrance into the womb of Our Lady in order to be formed into another Christ. Adam and Eve produced a race. They have the generations following them producing the fallen human race. And so too, the second Adam and the second Eve, they have a race. They have the redeemed human race. And this is the race that we want to belong to. We want to leave aside the fallen human race. And we want to join up with the redeemed human race. But by incorporating ourselves, uh, associating ourselves with this new Adam and this new Eve. And then just as the devil, the bad angel, got to Adam through Eve and destroyed Adam by the means of a woman. By tempting Eve with pride. The devil is very clever. You know, he sneaks into the garden and he puts Eve on a pedestal. He asks her a question. that's purposely wrong. In other words, he asks a question wherewith he knows Eve is going to have to correct him. And Eve is very willing to correct him and show that she knows better than the devil does. So, the devil says to Eve, is it true that you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? Is it true? And Eve's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not, it's just one tree. Look, devil, it's just one tree that we can't eat from. It's just the tree of knowledge of good and evil. By that time, he's got her. He's got her. The devil swelled her, her head with pride and was able to deceive her because of this reason. And so it's very, very appropriate for the head of the devil, which is the headquarters of his pride, to be crushed, not by our Lord, but by a woman. Just as he brought down Adam through a woman, the new Adam is going to bring down the devil through a woman. And this is why... In Genesis three fifteen, it reads, "I will put enmities between thee and the woman, between your seed and her seed; she shall crush your head." What does this mean? Does this mean that Our Lady plays the primary part in the defeat of the devil? No, no. We know that Our Lord pays the price of redemption, the actual price. Our Lady plays a role that's secondary. But what this means is precisely that as the devil brought down the human race by the means of a woman, so too God restores the human race by the means of a woman and defeats the devil by means of a woman. It's in this sense that he decrees that Our Lady is going to crush the head of the devil and not Our Lord. And Our Lady does this by being immaculately conceived by bringing our Lord into this world and by leading Him up to Calvary and offering Him on the cross. I mention, as an aside, that you can tell very quickly whether a Bible is Catholic or not Catholic by turning immediately to Genesis 3.15. Both the non-Catholic Bibles and the supposedly Catholic Bibles that are not really Catholic, put someone else as crushing the head of the serpent. They'll put he, they'll put it, but not she, but not she. But this verse, this reading of she shall crush your head, is the basis, is used by the popes in their infallible declarations as a scriptural basis for the dogmas of the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption. There's no way we can read this verse as saying, he or it shall cross the head of the serpent. And so if if we have this big perspective, if we have this big perspective of the plan of God to make a divine revenge, to have a complete reversal, a turning over of what happened in the garden, he's going to need not just our Lord to accomplish this. He's also going to need a woman. He's also going to need a tree. And this is exactly what God did. And so Our Lady was not just sort of a a merely material means, just sort of a ship to get our Lord to the shore. And our Lord walks off the ship and goes off and does His thing. We must not have that perspective, that Protestant perspective. Indeed, it would be absurd, we could say, that... Our Lord, rely on Our Lady for His coming into this world, for nurturing Him, for the beginning of His public life, and not rely upon Her for His greatest work, which is His death on the cross. So this is why St. Pius X in that encyclical that I mentioned on Our Lady, Idem Elum, he says the following. Not only because she consented to become the mother of the only Son of God so as to make sacrifice for the salvation of men possible, but also in the fact that she accepted the mission of protecting and nourishing the Lamb of Sacrifice. And when the time came, led Him to the altar of immolation. And this also, we must find Mary's glory. Mary's community of life and sufferings with her Son was never broken off. In uniting herself to the passion and death of her son, she suffered almost unto death. As far as it depended upon her, she immolated her son, so that it can be said that with him, she redeemed the human race. This is the meaning of this phrase, co-redemptrix. Our Lady, we call her, as Catholics, co-redemptrix, such that our Lord does not act alone in the work of the redemption. Our Lord and our Lady are the new Adam and the new Eve working as one unit in the the working of the redemption. And if you take away one of them, if you take away the new Adam or you take away the new Eve, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So if, if I take Eve out of the out of the garden, there's no sin, there's no original sin. If I take Adam, there's no original sin. So too. If I take our lady away from the foot of the cross, there's no redemption doesn't follow the plan of God but we may ask what does this mean on the part of Our Lady what did she have to do in order to play her part in the work of redemption we know that the word "redeem," the word means to buy back to buy back so we needed to be purchased from the slavery of the devil. We committed this infinite crime against God and payment needed to be made to God so that we could be bought back from that slavery of the devil. And so redemption is about payment. It's about making up for sin. And in this case, it requires an infinite payment. How do you make payment? How do you make payment? We make payment through what are called meritorious acts. Acts that have a supernatural value. Acts that are done for the love of God. Acts that count for something, not just on this earth, but somehow they rise above the level of this earth and they count for eternity. They have reverberations in eternity. These are what meritorious acts are. Just today visiting St. Phil- Philomena's school. Many of these children getting into the spirit of Lent and performing sacrifices and putting little trinkets in a, in a jar or perhaps putting little hearts on a cross to signify the sacrifices that they make. And these are all symbols that we use for the children to indicate the payment. The payment that's being made on their part which also symbolizes for them the payment that our Lord made. So we enter into the spirit of Lent by making payment for sin with our Lord. We try to unite ourselves with the passion of our Lord more during Lent than at any other time of the year through precisely our sacrifices. So we know that our Lord, He had the ability to make meritorious acts of infinite value. Acts that were worthy of God. And he was doing this from the very moment of his conception. In Saint Louis, he likes to look at our Lord in our Lady's womb and pray to our Lord in our Lady's womb, considering our Lord is offering these acts of homage to God of infinite value. Finally, there's someone on this earth acting, offering something to God that's worthy of Him, our Lord in our Lady's womb. So our Lord was capable. Of giving infinite homage to God because he was God. Because he had something infinite about him. He had a divine nature. And so we say that our Lord satisfied perfectly in justice for all the crimes of mankind in the past, in the future, in the present, whatever it may be. He rectified the scales of justice. He paid the perfect price. If the price, just to take a human example, if the price is $50.35, our Lord alone can pay that exact price. But what did Our Lady do? Our Lady, because she was just a mere creature, and no Catholic, like the Protestants try to portray us, no Catholic ever says that Our Lady is divine. In other words, that she has a divine nature. But what Our Lady was able to do is she was able to merit as much in our Lord, as Our Lord by a certain proportion. We say that what Our Lord merited by way of justice, Our Lady merited by way of friendship. So should we say that she even merited enough as well for the redemption of the human race. Leo Thirteenth, he says, It is a great thing in any saint to have sufficient grace for the salvation of many souls. But to have enough to suffice for the salvation of everybody in the world is the greatest of all. And this is found in Christ and in the Blessed Virgin. And in the Blessed Virgin. Because of the intensity of her sufferings, I spoke to you yesterday about the triple love of our lady. Your ability to suffer is based on your ability to love. You only suffer to the degree that you're able to love. You know people who are very selfish, not very loving. Someone does them wrong, they get over it immediately. They don't really care. They don't really care. Someone betrays them, they easily move on with their life. Someone who loves deeply, very deeply. Love is a risk. Love is a risk. Because love means going out of yourself, leaving yourself, investing yourself in another. And that's a risk. And those who are selfish, they cling to themselves as a certain security, but certainly also as a very great littleness of soul. Our Lady went out of Herself more than any other creature because she was completely given over to her son. And what did God ask of her? And this is a question you have to ask yourself when you're having a rough time with life, when you're experiencing trials, very strong trials, as we all have to do at some point in in our lives. What sort of trials did God ask of his own mother? You know that he asked very great trial of Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Abraham, Abraham, go to the mountain of vision and offer your son Isaac there for a sacrifice to me. Abraham has a three day journey to go to this mountain thinking all this time, I've got to go kill my son by the will of God it was the same for Our Lady it was the same for Our Lady go to the cross offer your son as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind except this time there was no angel there was no angel to hold back the death of our Lord Our Lady not only had to offer our Lord for our sakes for us rebellious children for ungrateful children St. Bernard speaks of this unfortunate exchange that's given to Our Lady. Our, Our Lady loses Our Lord and she gets us in exchange. She gets us. So there's no angel there to stop the death of Our Lord and Our Lady has to offer Our Lord. She has to witness His death. She has to see Him taken down from the cross, placed in our arms. She has to go to the tomb, see Him buried there, And walk away. And walk away. And it's for this reason that we call her the Queen of Martyrs. It's for this reason that we say that she merited as much as our Lord, though in an inferior way. She merited enough for the redemption of all mankind, though in an inferior way. This is why we call her the Co-Redemptrix. And so... Through this very painful experience, our lady begets us. She becomes our mother at the foot of the cross by relinquishing her rights over our Lord, relinquishing her rights as mother over <sighs> our Lord, she brings us forth. She brought our forth but she brought forth our Lord without any pain at all by miraculous operation of God our Lord just passed through her womb um, without violating Our Lady's virginity and yet with us she begets us with very much pain my point is that Our Lady by the will of God was necessary not only to bring Our Lord into this world but also for our redemption God chose to depend on her for the entire work of redemption, not just one aspect. But the work of redemption goes on today in that the fruits of the cross are still being applied to souls. And this application of the fruits of the cross is called the work of sanctification. You know that our Lord... Merited an infinite amount of merits, an infinite amount of graces. We can imagine it as this massive tank of graces. But there's a faucet. And the graces need to come and to be applied to souls. A major application of those graces is at the Mass. The Mass connects the cross to your soul. And it reconnects the the cross to God. It gives infinite homage to God. And it brings the cross to your souls. It brings our Lord Jesus Christ himself to your souls. And if there's no priest at the altar to, to pronounce the words of consecration, our Lord does not come. And there's no sacrifice. And there's no renewal of what happened on Calvary. So I just want to point out that these graces are available... But we have to tap into them. We have to have a means to tap into them. And this is the work of sanctification. And we apply this work, we attribute this work to the Holy Ghost. To the Holy Ghost. And so what do you think at this point? We know that God the Father chose to depend on Our Lady. We know that God the Son was intimately associated with Our Lady in every aspect of His life. And so with this work of sanctification, the application of the graces of redemption to your souls, do you think Our Lady is going to be involved? Absolutely. Absolutely. St. <coughs> Louis, he says, by mystery incomprehensible to created minds. We can't, under- we can't get this. The Holy Ghost did not beget another person within the Blessed Trinity. You know that the Son comes from the Father. And the Holy Ghost, He comes from both the Father and the Son. They beget the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost does not bring forth, does not beget any person within the Trinity. So St. Louis says, the Holy Ghost wished instead to beget a person of the Trinity in Our Lady. In Our Lady. He doesn't beget a person within the Trinity, but in Our Lady. I mentioned to you that God the Father gives Our Lady the power to produce Our Lord, and it's the Holy Ghost who works in Our Lady to form Our Lord. So the Holy Ghost produces Our Lord within Our Lady, and it's there that He produces a divine person. If you understand this, this analogy, See, He does. He's not fruitful within the Trinity. This is we're speaking metaphorically here. Right? This is we have to be careful. <laughs> we have to be careful speaking metaphorically. He doesn't produce a person within the Trinity, but He does in Our Lady. He works in Our Lady in order to produce a divine person, Our Lady. It's as if the Holy Ghost willed that all His fruitfulness be tied to Our Lady. He held it back in all eternity in order to make it operate in time in Our Lady. Such that it's not just that He produced Our Lord, in Our Lady, but He wills to do all of His work in Our Lady. Here's what St. Louis says. God the Holy Ghost has communicated His unspeakable gifts to Mary, His faithful spouse, and He has chosen her to be the dispenser of all He possesses, in such wise that she distributes to whom she wills, as much as she wills, as she wills, and when she wills, all his graces and gifts. The Holy Ghost gives no heavenly gift to men which he does not have passed through her virginal hands. We call the Holy Ghost, excuse me, we, we call Our Lady the spouse of the Holy Ghost, <laughs> as if somehow there is this mysterious wedding, marriage between the Holy Ghost and Our Lady. But St. Maximilian Kolbe explains how even this word can be a bit too weak to convey the the union between the Holy Ghost and Our Lady. We said how the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart are, as it were, one. They act as one. So too, the Holy Ghost and Our Lady. You know, that spouses, they're two in one flesh. They're two in one flesh. But... They're separated after death. After death, they're no longer married. And they do not act in unison. It's not like they're doing the same physical movements. It's not like they're thinking the same things. But when it comes to the Holy Ghost and Our Lady, St. Maximilian Colby says that she is, as it were, as it were, the incarnation of the Holy Ghost. Whenever you look at Our Lady, whenever you see Her doing anything, when you see Her operating, what do you see? Do you see the operations of a human being? Well, yes. But much more than that, you see the action of the Holy Ghost. There's never at any time in the life of Our Lady, or even to this present moment, that Our Lady does anything that's not in complete harmony with the inspirations of the Holy Ghost. So in a sense, what you see is the Holy Ghost acting in Our Lady. Such that the union between the Holy Ghost and Our Lady is so close that they act together. The Holy Ghost acts in her. She perfectly follows whatever He has her do, inspires her to do. Says St. Maximilian Colby. the Holy Ghost reigns in Our Lady in the absolutely most perfect way. And says Father Stalen, Father Stalen, a priest of the Society who writes this book, Who are you, O Immaculata? He says, The union is above all interior. It is the union of her very being with the being of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost dwells in her. He lives in her from the first instant of her existence. And he will do so always throughout eternity. The Holy Ghost lives in the soul of the Immaculate in her very being and makes her fruitful from the first instance of her existence And throughout her life, that is forever. And so the fact is that when it comes to the work of sanctification, the taking of these graces and this immense tank of graces and bringing them to your soul, connecting them to your soul, which is done by the Holy Ghost, He never does it but through Our Lady. So St. Louis, he says, the union between the Holy Ghost and Our Lady is so close that He does not come into souls but by her. So after the death of our Lord, we know that Our Lady was the only one who kept the faith. The apostles had run away. Even the women themselves, they stayed there, but they said, He can't be the Messiahs. He can't be the Messiah." But Our Lady made the greatest act of faith ever, at the foot of the cross and remaining to believe in her son. And so the first Holy Saturday, she was the only one who had the faith. This is why we dedicate Saturdays to Our Lady. She alone had the faith on the first Holy Saturday. And Our Lady herself has shown her approval of this by asking for the devotion of the five first Saturdays at Fatima. But after Our Lord ascended into heaven, Our Lady was present with the apostles in the upper room. And the apostles were not ready to be apostles. They still didn't have all their ideas correct about the mission of our Lord. They didn't understand fully the doctrine of the cross. And the Holy Ghost was going to come in nine days. Who would be the best one to prepare them, to get them ready for the coming of the Holy Ghost? The very best one, of course, would be the spouse. The spouse of the Holy Ghost would prepare them best. And this is exactly what happened. So Our Lady, following St. Louis, during these nine days, the first novena, before the coming of the Holy Ghost, she, as it were, gives the apostles a retreat, prepares them for the coming of her own spouse into their souls. And so too, to this day, our Lady prepares everyone for the reception of the Holy Ghost by her mediation. She turns souls to the Holy Ghost. She brings them forth to life as the new Eve. She also brings them closer to the Holy Ghost. She doesn't just bring the Holy Ghost there, but she, she makes them more united to the Holy Ghost. St. Maximilian Colby says the following. This, this is... Our Lady's role is mediatrix of all graces. Mediatrix of all graces. Everything passes through the hands of Our Lady. It's very unfortunate that among the many bad decisions they made at the Second Vatican Council, one of the decisions they made for ecumenical reasons, because they didn't want to displease the Protestants, who have the wrong perception of Our Lady and form a broken family religion with no mother, they decided not to declare the dogmas of the co-redemptrix and the mediators of graces. And so they failed to fulfill the will of God to have this age to be the age of Mary and the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, which will come. But they failed back in 62 to 65 to accomplish that that design of God's providence. So those two dogmas that I'm explaining to you this night have yet to be proclaimed as dogmas of the church by the popes and we expect it to happen at some point. The co-redemptrix, Our Lady's co-redemptrix, and as the mediatrix of all graces. St. Maximilian Kolbe, he says, The Most Holy Mother is mediatrix of all graces without exception. Therefore, the life of grace of a soul depends on the degree of its closeness to her. The closer a soul approaches her, the more pure it becomes, the more lively becomes its faith. Its love becomes more beautiful, and all virtues, being the work of grace, are strengthened and vivified. We cannot seek grace anywhere other than her, because she is its mediatrix. And so, at this point, I hope you have a clear perspective, or at least a clearer perspective, of the relationship between the three persons of the Blessed Trinity, and Our Lady. We're investigating the wisdom of God from all eternity. His plans to lead us to heaven. His plans to redeem us, to sanctify us. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost choose to accomplish their work in dependence uh, on Our Lady. All three of them. And so, if God the Father chooses to depend on Our Lady for His work by asking Her consent and making Her a necessary part of His plan. If God the Son wills to subject himself completely to her during 30 years of his life and to accomplish his work of redemption only in union with her, and if God the Holy Ghost chooses to come into souls only through his spouse, Our Lady, then what choice are you going to make when it comes to uniting yourself to God? What choice are you going to make? If God found no better way to come to you than through Our Lady, Will you find a better way to go to him? Do you want to be like God the Father? Place yourself in dependence on Our Lady. Do you want to be like God the Son? Submit yourself totally to Our Lady. Do you want to be like God the Holy Ghost? Do all things in union with Our Lady. St. Louis, in paragraph 158 of his book, speaking about this path, this path that God chose to establish and the path that we must choose. He says, make for me, if you will, a new road to go to Jesus and pave it with all the merits of the blessed, adorn it with all their heroic virtues, illuminate and embellish it with all the lights and beauties of the angels and let all the angels and saints be there themselves to escort, defend, and sustain those who are ready to walk there. And yet in truth, in simple truth, I say boldly, and I repeat that I say truly, I would prefer to this new perfect path the immaculate way of Mary. St. Louis recognizes profoundly the designs of divine providence. Once he recognizes what God has established, he embraces it. He sees that embracing it is to walk exactly On the path that God has established. And so you have. In that. Both the necessity. And the primary motive. For the practicing. Of this true devotion to Mary. And so. In the next conference. Tomorrow. We will speak to you. About. Our lady's continuing role. As it applies. Even to this very day. Her. Intercession in the present moment.